And Hannibal does terrible things like eating people. <laughs> What's not to like about Hannibal other than that, really? I mean, he eats people, but everyone has flaws. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you almost spit your teeth. What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films, so to keep my friends happy and potentially provide a new perspective on some popular films, I am on a quest to change that. I'm not on this quest alone, however. This week, I am joined by Matt Dixon, a hypnotherapist and yoga teacher. Matt, how's it going? Good. It's good, Ankit. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to have you here. So we're talking about the second half of Silence of the Lambs. What's your background on the film? You're the one who recommended it to me. What is your background on it? How do you remember when you first saw it or anything like that? I saw it on a date. And um, because of those circumstances, I don't remember much about it from that time. <laughs> but when it when it hit cable, meaning like HBO and and video stores and things i've seen it multiple times it was really popular with my with my friends because it was just disturbing and kind of gross with you know some great lines in it and it was a movie that that people always referenced when they you know were going to reference something creepy or kind of scary and then you know people always you know were always discussing my my, my people anyway like was it a was it a horror movie or was it not and just yeah it, it just i it was just a it just made a big impression you know there because the acting was so good and it was story flowed and and uh and it was kind of creepy and gross yeah <laughs> so, totally um yeah. yeah and then you bring it up is it horror is it not we'll, we'll get into that a bit later but yeah i don't i don't i don't fully know if it is or not yeah. It's it's that weird middle ground, isn't it? And I don't watch a lot of horror films. I don't know if you do, but this is probably one of the first horror films that I can remember watching. Yeah, I'm not even sure if I know what a horror film is. You know the because like the <laughs> the slasher ones really, you know, they're not very scary. They're just kind of, you know, they're just kind of silly, you know, um to me. Um but yeah, I don't know. I suppose The Exorcist was a horror film. But yeah, it's a well, intense thriller for sure. <laughs> it definitely is. So we'll jump right back into it. So where we are, we are back with Buffalo Bill holding his cute little dog. And Ka Catherine? Catherine, yes. That's her mm -hmm. name. Yeah, Catherine yeah. is in the well. She's pleading. Buffalo Bill tells her it rubs the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. And I thought it was very interesting that he calls her an it because it's just, you know, demeaning, taking her down, not not making her human. She's not a human anymore. And it's just a very interesting word choice that it's so subtle that you might not catch it right away. But it is very, very smart on the writer's part of why they do it like that. Yeah, that's something I can I didn't notice when I was in my uh, early 20s and saw it. I, I just thought that was creepy. 
and so did everybody else. You know, to to say to say it like that. Looking back on it as a grown up, <laughs> that yeah, it it was really cool. It was a cool cool trick. Yeah, and so Catherine rubs the lotion on Buffalo Bill and. He drops a light and a basket down the well, tells her to place the lotion in the basket. And it looked like Buffalo Bill was kind of upset. I couldn't quite tell maybe why. But then as he's pulling up this basket, Catherine sees the blood on the wall and then starts screaming. I get seeing blood on the wall and screaming, but this is probably not the first time he's tossed a light down. Was there something specific? Of why she was screaming that I just missed, or was it just that she saw the blood? There's a fingernail stuck to the wall. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that so, and it was a it was like a probably like a press on nail or something, you know, like oh the ones that you can just like attach. Yeah, yeah. Lee press on nails were really popular back then. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, I think that was right around the time when. Um, yeah, that was a thing. You know, be, be, w- women back then would always talk about, "Oh, I'm going to break a nail," you know, because it took a long time to grow their nails. But now there's these press-ons; it's not as big a deal. But I think that was that was the, that was probably the part where Catherine saw that, and she's like, "I'm, I'm fucked," you know, if I don't okay. get out of here. Yeah. Okay. That's what I think. Well. What I found funny, because she started screaming, I was like, I get why you're screaming, you're scared, you're terrified, but I just didn't know if there was a specific thing. But then Buffalo and Bill joins in on the screaming and just starts screaming to mock her. And it's a dark situation, but I couldn't help but laugh at that moment, because he was just being kind of silly and just screaming back at her. Do you see what he was doing with his, with his, uh, with his shirt? No, I didn't clock that. You didn't notice that? <laughs> what, what was he doing with the shirt? So this is when I was talking about like how creepy it was. This is something I remember really well. As she was screaming before he made a noise, he opened his mouth like he was going to scream and kind of he kind of shifted his face around. Then he started uh, you know, making that it was sort of a moan. It was almost like it was almost kind of Right, it wasn't a full scream. It was like a guttural moaning scream almost. But it was kind of sexual. And then he he took his he took his thumbs into the side of his shirt and poked them out like boobs. Oh yeah, I didn't catch that. I didn't oh, catch that little it's, bit. It's so creepy. That <laughs> is, and what we learn later, that's so much worse. Like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So. Then that's the end of that scene. Great little just segment but wonderful you know i appreciate it we have (laughs) chilton and he's now telling hannibal that hannibal got scammed Mm -hmm. by starling and that there was never a deal at least not with senator martin so chilton says that senator martin's never heard of him until now and now there is actually a deal and Chilton has formed this new deal to get Buffalo Bill a transfer. And Hannibal's in full restraints for the very first time in this scene. But, like, he's so calm in his restraints. He's just chilling. Yeah, yeah. He's not adjusting for comfort or anything. He's stoic. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's just standing there perfectly still in his restraints. Mm-hmm. Which, he's the only character I have ever seen in film or television that I can recall that I've ever seen in, like, restraints or handcuffs or anything like that that never tried to, like, do some type of getting out of it. Yeah, no fear whatsoever. No, it didn't, didn't even seem to bother him. It's like his heart rate didn't raise above an 85. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Hannibal reveals his first name is Lewis, the killer's first name. So we're saying that Buffalo Bill's first name is Lewis, and he'll tell the senator the rest of this in Tennessee in person. He has a few conditions on of his own. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Creepiness from Hannibal in that scene that we've gone over but yeah that's pretty much that scene right there and then we do learn that the deal was a phony one because i was still like Mm -hmm. no starling wouldn't do that like that's not true but then we do learn that it was a phony deal crawford authorized it Mm -hmm. which i didn't think that they would do but crawford was like look we had to take a gamble we had to roll the dice on it i couldn't actually see if this deal was going to happen or not I had to take a chance. Yeah, something else I didn't notice when I saw it the first time in my 20s was, so Jodie Foster, if you didn't know, she was a child star. She had a, I was about to say, she only she only did like kind of innocent roles. That's not true because she played a prostitute and taxi driver, but she had a lot of roles as, you know, in sort of family stuff. Okay. And so, so there was like an innocence about her. And, well, you know, of course, um, that's part of the reason I'm sure she was cast because she had that sort of, she has still kind of does that sort of innocent looking face. Mm-hmm. But I never, it never, I didn't realize that, uh, that she was in on that ruse. Like, so I guess my point is, is uh, seeing as, as a, as an adult, I, I can see, you know, that's kind of part, she is really savvy. That character is really savvy, but. That that's I rewatched it and that sort of, that that just made a made an impression on me. Yeah, and you saying that it makes me realize that Crawford in the beginning, because Sterling brings it up to Crawford of like, hey, why didn't you tell me that you were sending me in there for this specific reason? I don't remember what it is off the top uh, of my yeah. head, mm-hmm. but Crawford was like, Hannibal would have smelt it out. I couldn't send you in there with an agenda. So now it's like, with you saying what you just did, it makes me think, did Starling know that it was a ruse? And if she did, amazing job by her to not have it smelled out by Hannibal. Or did Crawford just say, we got a deal, and let Starling believe that fully? Later. There is information that we'll learn later on about that but it makes me think like how much of it did she know or did she think that it was a real deal even with the little bit that we talk about later did she think that it was still a real deal not just phony i don't know but yeah i don't know i don't know either Hmm. yeah but we're now in memphis hannibal is still restrained still calm and creepy And you finally get that famous mask that it's from the poster or it's from something, but it's that brown mask that has like just the slit for the mouth. 
Mm-hmm. I have no idea where I've seen that mask before, but I know the mask. It's it's iconic. That's what I was trying to say. Like that, it's as iconic as Jason's mask. Jason's the hockey mask, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Okay. And Mike Myers, that's 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 in your subconscious. You're you've seen it your whole life. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know the hockey mask. I know mm-hmm. the Hannibal mask, and then I know that there's a creepy clown in it, and that's about all I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, those are like when I think horror. Those are like the three masks, I guess, because like mm-hmm. the clown makeup is a type of mask, just in terms of makeup. But those are like the three masks that come to my mind when I think horror films. Yeah, yeah that's the. It's in the pop culture. That's uh, and that's where it came from. That's what I was okay. talking about. Like it was such an iconic movie, you know, lines. And I didn't even think about the mask until you brought it up. Okay. Nasty looking mask too. It is. It is. But it works so well for the character because it's kind of this. It's so simplistic, mm-hmm. kind of. And that's kind of how Hannibal is. Like he's not exactly. He's not this eccentric human being. He's incredibly smart, but like yep. he's quite simple when it comes down to his day to day life. So it fits the character as well. But he, does, Chilton he doesn't can't... have crazy eyes either. No, he doesn't. He has yeah. actually very calm, welcoming eyes. Yep. Yeah. They are kind of creepy because he never blinks. But in <laughs> the few moments where he's kind of calm and welcoming and like is kind of opening up and joking around, if you mm-hmm. look at Anthony Hopkins' eyes, they're not creepy. They're just kind. And you feel kind of safe. Like, you know enough about him to know you're not, but, like, you feel okay. He seems like a nice guy. <laughs> Until you get to know him. Yeah. It all goes downhill the moment you start learning about him. Oh, <laughs> terrible. So, Chilton can't find his pen, and I was immediately like, like Hannibal has the pen. He's going to use it eventually. I don't think he's going to use it now, but he has the pen because using it now would be very dumb with a lot of guns pointed at him in a mm-hmm. hangar. So they bring Hannibal over to meet Senator Martin and Martin has an affidavit confirming his new rights and to read it before signing. And Hannibal says he won't waste time. Starling and Crawford already did that. And he just hopes that they didn't damn or doom the poor girl. Mm-hmm. Hannibal says now trust when it is over and that <clears throat> Buffalo Bell's real name is Lewis Friend immediately I was like great it's probably an anagram I tried to figure it out I couldn't we'll get to why I couldn't figure it out later but <laughs> he then reveals that he met Buffalo Bill I'm still gonna call him Buffalo Bill because I think mm-hmm. that this is an anagram I don't think it's actually the real name so yeah. they met once in 1980 when Benjamin, who was Hannibal's client, was Buffalo Bill's lover. And then mm-hmm. Benjamin started becoming frightened and Buffalo Bill had murdered a transient and done things with his skin. So that's the information that we're given. Hannibal asks if the senator breastfed Kathy, which was a very odd question to ask. I didn't understand why, but then he continues. 
it hardened your nipples, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Because when you amputate a man's leg, he can still feel it tickling. And mm-hmm. the senator's right hand is getting more and more upset with Hannibal as mm-hmm. he's just saying these words, which I think is beautiful writing, where the senator is just kind of in shock that someone is talking to me like this. He was also future future pacing it. And and that's like in, in hypnosis, you know, you, you future pace something. So like uh, when he was saying... When you see her laying on the slab, you know, what what part of you is going to itch or whatever it was. And so he didn't say if you see her laying on the the slab. He said when. And the way that he drew her in with um, the whole thing, right? So that's a it's it's his uh, it's his appearance because he's bound. He's got that creepy mask on. His eyes are kind and he's and you know he 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 goes his uh, when he when he talks he goes from set like a proper intellectual to really crass and so that's that's kind of hypnotic because all the whole thing is kind of drawing you in and it was kind of drawing her in because you could kind of see it in her in her face so when you future pace so she's in a trance okay yeah and then so then you 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 future pace that it makes it even more impactful and more awful. Huh. Because he didn't, you know, you know what I mean? So, like in hypnosis, if it's if somebody is like, um, you know, binge eating and like I'm trying to help them with that, you know, I would, you know, I would say like, what part of you is going to feel really great when you're in front of a big spread of food at a party and you're eating the sensible way that you know that you're as opposed to saying which future paces it and you know as opposed to saying um you know it would be really great if you didn't eat four plates of food at this party coming up wouldn't it because <laughs> so that's uh that that was a whole thing and i didn't notice that either but now that i'm a hypnotist i do notice it so it's even creepier <laughs> okay well, yeah. thank you for helping making this more creepy for anyone who ever rewatches this after listening to this. <laughs> okay. Um, but this is very interesting. I wonder if the writers, I mean, they probably did. Writers are incredibly smart people. But I wonder if they knew that this is what they were doing or if it was just a happy accident when they were like, hey, we've written this very fun scene. And then it's just this happy accident that it falls into hypnosis. And that as well, I have no idea. I don't either. I don't either. But he, but Hannibal definitely at his level would have probably, you know, used some hypnosis sometimes. And and given his age and given the time, he probably would have studied Milton Erickson, who was a, a psychiatrist. He sort of invented conversational hypnosis, which is what he was doing. So it could be just this beautiful accident or coincidence, but it all it all adds up. It's pretty yeah. cool. Well, I would like to think that the writers knew what they were doing Me and too. it wasn't yeah. a happy accident and that they were like, for anyone who knows this world, it's 10 times creepier. Here yeah. we go. So the senator is aghast by all of this. She says, take him back to Baltimore. And then Hannibal yells out, five foot 10, 180 pounds, blonde, pale blue eyes, about 35, said he lived in Philly, but he may have moved. This is all the information we have for now. And 
if Hannibal remembers anything, he'll tell them. And then the senator goes to leave, and Hannibal just goes, By the way, I love your suit. And I was like, that's fun. I like how he just, you know, makes this person feel terrible. And then he's like, I should give them a compliment. So that's another thing. Hypnotic. So... Is it? Mm-hmm. So he, uh... He's, he did all these terrible things. It's not necessarily hypnotic. It's just, it's, it's persuasive. He did all these... He said all these terrible things, really, really upset her. And then just as, you know, they thought this was a complete wash, he made, he played us. He gives some really great information while they're angry. And he says it, you know, quickly, like, I you know, and um, so when a person is in a state of, of emotion, that's, that's when they're most persuadable. So he he hits him with something valuable, and then and then a compliment. <laughs> so that that just the that's the last thing that they remember. So something valuable, a compliment, and then okay, maybe it was worth it. You know, as opposed to it just was a complete waste of time. Okay, very interesting. I think he did it in the beginning with uh, Starling. After Meg did his in their very meeting. first meeting, right? Yeah. Okay. But, I don't know. That could have again could have been a happy coincidence. Who knows? Could have been a happy coincidence. Yeah. So Chilton then, like an idiot, is doing a press conference out front of wherever they are. It looks like some hotel building something, and he tells the world that Hannibal is helping make a profile to catch Buffalo Bill, mm-hmm. and says that it's all thanks to him. He -hmm. does gloss over Buffalo Bill's real name, but then makes it very clear that his name is Dr. Frederick Chilton. Now, I'm not a genius, but maybe, just maybe, if you're going after a serial killer, you don't want to tell them that they're getting help from somebody that they know. Probably not. I don't know, yeah. Chilton. I feel like I feel like you're dropping the ball on this one. <laughs> I don't really like Chilton. He's kind of just been mean, crass, and not making good decisions. And not self-aware. Those are all things that if you you know that Hannibal would absolutely despise. So you can imagine, like. I mean, it He's... makes sense of why Hannibal dislikes him. I mean, mm. the fact that I like Hannibal more than Chilton. Mm-hmm. And Hannibal does terrible things like eating people. <laughs> What's not to like about Hannibal other than that, really? I mean, he eats people, but everyone has flaws. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you almost spit your tea. <laughs> so... But while this whole little scene where Chilton is giving this press conference is happening, you see Starling show up in the background, and then she slips inside unseen by Chilton. So the police let her in, and they allow her to go up, and I'm guessing it's to go up to go meet with Hannibal. And Mm -hmm. Hannibal is now in a very large cell in what looks like a ballroom of sorts in this hotel, wherever they are. And... He's just sitting 
reading a book when Starling shows up. Doesn't even turn around, but he knows that it's her. And Starling has brought back his pictures, which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. Nice gesture. Hannibal says Anthrax Island was a nice touch. So that's that thing we were talking about earlier of that fake deal that mm-hmm. never truly existed. How much did Chilton actually know? Because Hannibal realizes that Anthrax Island was Starling throwing it in. And that was her addition to it. But I don't know how much she actually knew if she thought that this was a real deal. She was embellishing. Yeah, maybe it was a real deal. And she was like, look, we got to give him this as well. We can't just problem. Like, if we really want his help, we can't just say he's going to get a transfer to where he can see nature. We got to embellish a little bit and tell him. Like, we got to get it into the deal that he can go do, like, experience nature a little bit as well. Yeah. But I'm still not sure how much she knew, but I don't know. Yeah, me neither. That's so interesting. It really Something is. Something that you can think about. But Starling then says the anagrams are starting to show. Lewis friend, iron sulfide, which means fool's gold. And I was like, how does Lewis friend turn into iron sulfide? And that's when I realized that I was spelling Lewis a different way. (laughs) Um, I spelt Lewis L-E-W-I-S, and they were spelling Lewis L-O-U-I-S. That went right over my head. So Completely over my head. Fair, I just felt like Lewis Friend sounded too much like a fake name. Yeah, I just... I couldn't figure it out, but it was a simple, I just spelt the name differently. But Iron Sulfide, Fool's Gold, obviously he's sending them on a wild goose chase. You're never going to find someone named Lewis Friend. So, Hannibal then says Sterling needs to have some more fun out of life. And I like that this is coming from Hannibal, the man who's been locked up for eight years. He's like, you need to loosen up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's just like, go on, go go smell the roses or whatever. So Sterling asks for the truth, like back in Baltimore. And Hannibal says everything needed is in the pages of the case file. First, simplicity. Read Marcus Aurelius of each particular thing and ask, what is it in itself? Do you know what he means by that? No. Great. No, I don't. I um I mean I sure didn't I sure didn't know that in my twenties. <laughs> sure. I know Marcus Aurelius is like I think he was a Greek Roman. I don't know. He was some He's a stoic philosopher, I think. He's a he, he's a, yeah, he's a philosopher. I don't know from what era, but like lived ages ago. But that's about it. If anyone listening knows let us know, because I don't know what that reference was. So he then says, what do we covet the most? Mm-hmm. And do we seek things to covet? And we, and we don't. As humans, we don't covet. We don't seek something to covet. We just covet what we see in everyday yeah. life. You know, 
it's the simple thing of, oh, I really want a pint. You see mm-hmm. other people having one, you're like, I want one. Like it's it, yeah. it could be yeah. as simple as that, but you don't actively like go look for something to cut. Yeah. Which I think was very interesting. I've never really even thought of things that we covet, let alone how do we covet things and why do we covet things? Me neither. I never thought, I, mm, yeah. So, but we then get back to our lovely friend, Quid Pro Quo. Starling says that they don't have time to get into why she left the ranch and that they are running out of time because she snuck up here and isn't supposed to be here. But Hannibal is very adamant that he will listen now. And so Starling reveals this very interesting backstory. She reveals one morning she ran away in the dark and she was awoken by a strange noise of screaming like a child's voice. She -hmm. went downstairs outside and crept into the barn where she heard the screaming. And when she looked inside, she saw baby lambs screaming. First, she tried to free them, but the lambs wouldn't run. So then she took a lamb and ran as fast as possible. She didn't have any food. She didn't have any water, so she didn't get very far. But she thought that if she could save one, it would all be worth it. But she only got a few miles. A sheriff picked her up, and the rancher was so angry that he sent her to live in an orphanage, and the lamb was slaughtered. Very intense stuff for a 10-year-old, as Starling was in that moment, but also just a very powerful monologue, the way that Jodie Foster plays it. Yeah, and the worst part of that for me was the 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 rancher sent her away. Yeah. That. I imagine maybe... Maybe he cost her a lot of money or something, or because she said earlier he was a decent man. He was; they were family, but that's that's kind of how things were back then, I suppose. So I was born in '69, and my uh, my sister, who was in high school when I was born, had a was pregnant at the same time my mom was pregnant with me, and uh, they sent her to a uh, home for unwed mothers. That was what people did back then you know so it just it was a different time you know i but but yeah to me that that was that was the worst part of the story you know that and to today's world i think that's the part of the story that needs an explanation you know but okay not back then you know i guess yeah i was confused on why he sent her away like, I would understand if he got really upset with her, he grounded her, like, even, yeah. even, like, if she was, like, he just became cold and distant. hmm And, like, didn't trust her or whatever. But the fact that he just sent her away when, in reality, all that happened was a 10-year-old tried to save a baby, like, a lamb, because she didn't want them to get killed. And then he sent her away, but, like, none of the lambs escaped because she said that none of them wanted to leave. Like, they had the option. None of them did. Exactly. And then he got back the one that she tried to run away with. Like, in the end, there really wasn't any harm 
that she did that hurt him in a really bad way other than just, you know, being a kid and doing what she thought was the right thing to do. But, like, he didn't necessarily have to send her away for that. That's the, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Hannibal then says, that's all we got to say about that. Uh, Hannibal then says, you still wake up in the dark hearing the screaming of the lambs. And if she's able to save Kathy, then hopefully the sounds will stop. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting. I thought that was very interesting. And I thought that it was something more of the lines of like, is it that she couldn't save those lambs? And so she's hearing the screams of Kathy, like she's imagining those screams Mm -hmm. as those lambs. And then, you know, death. So, yeah, it's interesting. Almost like he teases her a little bit, like kind of like, you really think that's going to help? You know, is it as cool as Hannibal is at times? He's also kind of a dick. Yeah, he kind of is. And I think he is a lot of the time, actually. Mm, Because he's quite condescending. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah. But Starling isn't sure, and Hannibal thanks her, and Starling asks for the name, but, sadly enough, time has run out. Chilton has arrived. Woohoo! Chilton, we were just getting to the juicy part. Like, come on. Like, just wait outside for, like, 30 more seconds. Like, come on. (laughs) But as Starling is being escorted out, Hannibal hands her a case file, the case file that she gave him, and she runs back to grab it, and we see a beautiful shot of their fingers touching as they pass the file between each other. And so I was like, the file will have some type of clue. We're not quite sure. But this whole scene between Starling and Hannibal, I thought was just beautiful. The close-ups on both of their faces is amazing. And it really feels like you become part of this conversation. And Mm -hmm. with it being that close up, it's like, you know, in the moments where we're looking at Starling, it feels like Starling's telling you this story. And in the moments that Hannibal is telling us information, it feels like Hannibal is telling you this information rather than they are telling each other. So it really, for me, it felt like the audience was being brought into it as you're not just witnessing the story, you are part of the story. Oh, yeah. That's cool. That's that's neat. Yeah, just a fun little trope, which at least that was how I felt, and I think it was because of just the way that it was shot and how good the writing is, where I know that, you know, objectively, they're talking to each other. But at the same time, I can be like, with the way, you know, I'm not seeing anything but that person's face. So if I'm having a conversation with someone, every yeah, like, yeah, we're looking here and there. But, like, if it's an intense conversation, you're looking at each other and that's all that's happening. Like, you know, you kind of, at least for me, I don't know if other people do this, but, like, the other surroundings don't become as important when it's, like, an intense conversation. And you're just talking to that person. Yeah, a couple things. So, one, like... It's so interesting to hear uh, your perspective as as a, as an actor and a and a you're a writer as well, right? I'm working on writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's that's interesting because I the regular people, civilians, <laughs> muggles as as it were, would would never um that that's what that's what uh we hypnotists call people who aren't hypnotists, we call them muggles, but like <laughs> but the um would never catch that, you know, or 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 probably wouldn't. When people ask me to, you know, they want to know what like hypnosis is or what trance is like. One one example I use is like if you're you're in a uh, conversation with somebody at a coffee shop or something, and the only thing that exists is just the conversation between the two of you. You're just kind of lost in the conversation, and every the sounds around around you, the the people you know clamoring and the uh, espresso machine and all that stuff is or sirens or whatever that it just kind of turns into white noise that's and that's, that's exactly what you were just describing it's it's that's cool that's 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 neat on the writer's part nice very fun i i like how it's all tying together as well like mm-hmm. it's not just writing it's all of it so yeah it's very yeah. interesting so we see Hannibal with all his drawings and he now has a new one of Starling with a lamb which mm-hmm. might I just say I've said this before but this man has an incredible memory and has a beautiful hand for sketching like it is a great sketch of Starling with a lamb so also shows like how interested in her he is like you know he yeah, and it it's like, it's what we were talking about, at least in the last episode with Daniel. It's kind of like, he is invested in this, like, chess match that they kind of have mm-hmm. going on back and forth. That was kind of the analogy that we used, is that they're having this chess match. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting, because, like, he doesn't just see her as another cop. He mm-hmm. sees her as almost like an equal in terms of intellectual level. Yeah. It, where he's willing to spar with her. And or maybe a mentor. Maybe he also maybe thinks he's mentoring her. Or who knows. But that's definitely, there's definitely something, definitely something, something there that's, that's kind of, that's really charming. Yeah. And I think you bring up mentor and, you know, it's, I think there is a small connection in terms of, like, Hannibal mentoring her, and it's not necessarily, you know, how you would normally think a mentor would mentor someone. But in this case, it's he's helping her think mm-hmm. a little more like a criminal, which is helping her in her job. But he's not spoon-feeding her of, like, this is what you need to do. He's like, look, you're smart enough to figure this out but I'm going to drop the right little hints here and there so that you can figure this out. And it's an interesting way of, I guess, mentoring a bit. But, like, yeah, he is... Because at the beginning of the film, compared to where she even is now, and by the time she gets to the end of the film, Starling's gone through a huge transformation, and, you know, I think Hannibal has a lot to do with that in terms of how he helps her change her way of thinking a little bit. It's funny you mention that because in Manhunter, the first the first movie of of this, 
of Hannibal. Wait, there's a movie before this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That one I saw with my older brother, and his his uh, his girlfriend pointed this out. They 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 both were uh, you know older and smarter than me. They're but she said that uh, she pointed out the um, so the Hannibal tells the agent or the the cop yeah so the played by the same actor who plays Gil Grisham in um, CSI Las Vegas. And this particular uh, cop is really good agent. I don't, I don't know if he's CIA or FBI. I don't remember, but he's really good at catching serial killers. Like really good at it. And then the big revelation is that you know Hannibal tells him like, um, you know, you're so good at it because you think like a serial killer, which means you and I are the same. You just chose a different path. And that was a that was a big okay. kind of thing in the in the movie. Yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget my, uh, my brother and uh, his girlfriend talking about that, and because that, that I, I was maybe fourteen when I saw that one. You know, that was so young. So okay, I didn't, I didn't catch anything. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. If anyone's interested, that actor's name is William Peterson. So I'm, his face looks familiar. I don't know from what. He's been in a million things. So, like, so, yeah. Exactly. And it, that's the fun thing sometimes of, like, when I, when I see something new, I'm like, oh, I know your face. I don't remember why, but I know your yeah. face. Hello, and welcome to the intermission. I'm sorry I didn't cue it up. We were having such a good conversation that I just completely forgot that we had to do this. But I hope you are all enjoying us going through Silence of the Lambs and this episode in particular. If you would like to support the show on Patreon, get access to some bonus content like monthly Q&As with me and different things like that, you can do so by heading to patreon.com slash postfinale. Any money that's made from the Patreon will just go directly back into the show to help make it a better show, to get better guests, to get better audio equipment, and things like that. Also, if you cannot support the show on Patreon, that's completely fine. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Please tune in to next week's episode as well, where we finish our discussion of Silence of the Lambs. And also, if you still want to help out in a non-monetary way, just talk about us on social media, share it with friends, family, that helps us a lot, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever app you are using to listen to the show. Any of that really does help a lot. So thank you to everyone who has done that or will do that in the future. And let's get back to the episode. But so the guards are now bringing Hannibal some food. And we see that they are lamb chops, extra rare. And I'm like, really, Hannibal? You really had to hit it that nose on? Like, come on. I do, I do appreciate the eccentricness, though. Very fun. <laughs> so, 
Hannibal is behind some sort of screen. I'm guessing he has that screen for, like, changing and stuff, maybe. Um, not completely sure. But he has... It looked like maybe a key or something in his mouth. It wasn't quite a key because we see it in a couple frames. But it's like a tiny, like, pen. It's the inside something. of that. It's the inside of, um, um, of Chilton's pen. Oh... Uh, that makes sense, because I did notice that the pen was missing and that I thought that Hannibal had it, but then it never showed up again. Okay, it's the inside of the pen. Lovely. So Hannibal is handcuffed to the rail, and he uses the inside of the pen to get free of his handcuffs. He then handcuffs one of the guards to the gate and then kicks the door at the other guard and then goes to bite off his tongue. And he does. And at first I was like, is it his nose? Is it his tongue? I don't know. And then they pulled away and the guard still had his nose. So I assumed he bit off his tongue. And then Hannibal goes back. He beats the first cop to death with a baton. And enjoys the music that's playing in the background for a moment. He then picks up a tiny knife. And goes over to the second guard, whose tongue is already missing. And we cut away. <laughs> I, I'm seeing where the horror comes into it a little bit. But still, not, it's not the that bad. His... It, it is terrible, but it's not that bad. <laughs> the, the look on his face when he's, when he's swinging the, the club. And the blood splattering on him. Just... Could see he was really enjoying it, and the and when he when he when he bit into that to the other guard, that was kind of like when he wasn't like the the calm collected because if I if I remember right he he snarled and kind of growled when he did that maybe, but yeah I think so with with the guard with mm -hmm. the tongue yeah God. yeah he became more animalistic when he went to go get the tongue which makes sense because like animals don't have hands and opposable thumbs or most of them don't and so they eat by stuffing their faces into the meat Killing things with their face and i guess that's kind of what he was doing <laughs> yeah and that's what he was doing like yeah he used his hands to hold mm -hmm. the guy's head but it's the same way that like you can say a gorilla would hold a head i don't think gorillas eat meat but you know what i mean so <laughs> but like the same way that like a monkey has hands that's kind of how he was using it but then he just went in face first so gorillas are um omnivores and they will eat meat and they'll uh, at times eat each other okay i didn't know gorillas involved got involved in cannibalism but sure i guess comparing hannibal to a gorilla was potentially yeah, accurate do, for sure <laughs> maybe maybe yeah chimps do okay animals are very interesting yeah, creatures. scary so we then see the elevator downstairs we're downstairs with everyone and the elevator goes up to five and the sergeant downstairs is worried and then we see it coming back down and it stops on three and the sergeant immediately is like, something's wrong. So he asks for a 10-block radius and SWAT teams and an ambulance quick. Mm -hmm. 
and that they are gonna go up. The cops are all heading up the stairs, and when they get to the lift on three, it's empty. Okay. So, in the prison room, we see through the door that it looks like Hannibal has hung something up to represent an angel or something on the bars, and then the cops burst in, and we see that one of the cops, I think the second one, or maybe it's the first one, I don't know, I couldn't quite tell, it might have been the first one, and he is hung up with his stomach cut open, and he's hanging there for everyone to see. Gore's yeah. delight right there. The, the movie magic of the time, when he would have had time to do that, flip the body and display it that way, all that stuff. Well, here's the thing. Is it's possible that he really did? Because if the guards went up there, right, to just give mm-hmm. him dinner, and say he does all of this in about 20 minutes, and he has a lot of practice, so it's possible that he can do a lot of this in 20 minutes. Obviously, I don't know where he's getting the ladder from, but like, just assume that he yeah. has a ladder uh, to hang up a body. But he, I could potentially see him doing the rest of this in 20 minutes. I suppose so. And I don't think the sergeant downstairs would think that anything is going wrong. If the elevator isn't called up, like, nothing's done. Everyone's just Mm -hmm. in the room. And it's like, okay, like, great. Like, he has, you know, it's not wild that it might take him 20 minutes to eat his dinner. You know, he might just be taking his time enjoying the lamb chop. He has nothing better to do. He might as well take his time to eat rather than Mm -hmm. scarf it down. So I don't think that would be that weird. But yes, I do agree. The movie magic of he magically has a ladder is fantastic and I love it. Who knows? Maybe he just climbed up the bars and is just incredibly strong. Yeah. Serial killer strength. (laughs) It's different. So, (laughs) So Hannibal's missing and they assume armed. And one of the guards is alive. And he's beaten up very badly but alive and so one of the young cops tries to talk but he's very scared SWAT team has arrived and the ambulances take down Pembry who is this dead alive cop and I kind of felt like this seems too easy is but is Pembry Hannibal I was like because Hannibal felt like he was too smart to just try to run away I don't know, I had this weird feeling that it might be Pembry because it just seems like he knows, Hannibal's smart enough to know that they're going to set up a perimeter. He's not going to get anywhere on foot on a 10-block perimeter. So I don't know, this is just a quick thought, we'll see what it is. But when they're in the elevator heading down, the top three floors are secure, the main stairwell is secure, And they think that he's on floor two. We then see blood trickle in from the top of the elevator. And they realize that he's in the elevator. He's on top of the elevator. And that's when I felt less confident in my guess of Pembry. Because I was like, oh, okay. Maybe maybe he is really just there. And he fell and impaled himself or whatever. So, which is also a possibility. But I didn't feel good about my, my guesses here. But I still felt like I got something. But the sergeant realizes this as well, and he tells SWAT. They see him, he's covered in blood, and he's not moving. 
They give him a warning shot in the leg, but there's no movement. And then SWAT pulls the latch, and then who we assume is Hannibal falls through. But then back at the ambulance, they're describing Pembry's injuries. And Pembry seemingly just wakes up, and it is Hannibal. So, whoop de doo I got something right for once. And they used... Hannibal used Pembry's face as his mask to escape. Mm. And it was Pembry that was on top of the elevator. That, and that is terrifying. so terrifying. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like... Like, back then, I mean, there were definitely gross movies, you know, but, but I don't know that there was any that that were that that well-made or or that mainstream, you know? Yeah. And as far as, like, what, what happened at Hannibal, I wish, I really wish that I could remember the first time I saw it, because I got I probably, probably bought it hook, line, and sinker. The first time I saw it. Yeah. Fair enough. I I just felt like it was too easy. And my favorite type, like one of my favorite things to watch are cop dramas. Like one of my favorite TV shows of all time is White Collar. Mm. And so like, I really like those types of shows. I like detective shows and things like that. But yeah, those are like the types of shows, but it just felt like it was way too easy for it to really just be that Hannibal's dead right away. I was like, he's yeah. too smart. Something just feels too easy, which is why, you know, I've just seen a lot more of that. And I know that a lot of things were inspired by Silence of the Lambs. And so I don't know, maybe there's some type of scene where they do some type of trick, obviously not using someone's literal face as their mask, because I would have remembered that. But maybe something that was like slightly inspired by this, which made me think of that already. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But they find the ambulance. It's in the Memphis airport. And that's it. That's all we know. Uh, we're back with Starling. And she's not worried that, you know, he's going to come after her. She's like, he won't come after me. He'd consider right. it mm -hmm. rude. And... You know, I agree. Hannibal's not going mm -hmm. after Starling. He respects yep. her. He's not going after her. And Starling can't figure it out, though. Like, can't figure out what Hannibal was trying to tell her. And we see, at the same time, a very quick shot, but a very creepy shot of Buffalo Bill working on creating his skin suit. And back with Starling, her friend finds Hannibal's writing on a map. And doesn't the scattering of... The sights seem desperately random, like elaboration of a bad lie. And then they say it's not a random, there is a pattern. Or the friend says this, and Starling's like, no, there's no pattern. The computers would have picked it up. So then they're going back and forth, and we finally get back to them realizing, okay, let's go back to this first girl that was killed. Why was she the third body found? Mm -hmm. And that's when it all clicks for Starling and for me as well, where, you know, the first girl, this guy coveted her. And that's when they realized that Buffalo Bill knew the first girl. They knew who she was. 
Hello everyone, so actually that is where we are going to stop our episode for this week. I'm really sorry that I didn't queue it up like normal. We completely just kept talking and we're just having a fun conversation. So we didn't even think about stopping the recording and then starting a new one like I normally do. But that's where we're going to end this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to check out Matt's website and Matt's socials, check the description down below and you can get access to those. But thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'll catch you all later. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Post Finale. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. I also run the social media and edited this episode. The music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison, and the art is by Jared Rother. If you would like to support the show and get access to some bonus content, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash postfinale. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PostFinalePod on all three platforms. And if you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, tell the friend about a show. Reach out and say, hey, you love movies, or I've been trying to get you to watch movies. Check out this new podcast. Talk about us on social media. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever app you are using to listen to the show. All of these things help, and I appreciate all of you that have done this already and all of you that will do this in the future. But I'm just thankful that you joined us for this episode, and I hope you join us next week as we finish up our discussion on the silence of the lambs. And until then, I'll catch y'all later.